Welcome, this is Coppercasts, a show dedicated to exploring the wonderful, if somewhat technical, world of institutional investment in crypto assets. I'm your host, Tyler Kenyon. And our guest today is Fadi Abouafa. Fadi has had an illustrious career in the energy sector, having served as the MD of MIS, which is a weekly newsletter focusing on the Middle East and North African oil and gas sectors. In the crypto universe, he's very well known as the founder of DR, the now retired and data-driven newsletter on digital assets. He was one of the very early grown-ups in the space, not just calling for more institutional adoption of digital assets, but also analyzing it, which is, of course, why we snapped him up, and he is now head of research at Copper. Welcome, Fadi. Thank you, Tyler. So give us your crypto origin story. Um, but actually, I think maybe before that, tell us how you got started. Uh, you're a very data-driven person. Uh, you love Excel and numbers and math way more than anyone else on our team, which we're very grateful for. Um, but you know, tell us why that stuff is interesting to you. The fact that I'm actually really good at Excel actually comes from my dad. I started university as a computer science engineer and I got quickly burnt out after a couple of months. And my father, who's an accountant, told me to take an accounting course. Of course, I found it super boring, but I took it nonetheless. And actually, I was the top student. I was very, very good at accounting. Um, so between the accounting and the computer science, the Excel is an amazing tool. And my data-driven background comes from running a MIS, which is an oil and gas publication that was also data-driven. And that's also on the institutional level. And that's how I kind of got into crypto, actually, to answer your first question. The idea came from actually one of my sales reps who came into my office and said, this crypto thing is going to be big and there's no data-driven institutional analysis for crypto. And so I went down that rabbit hole. The time that I started DR, uh, Cyprus had just gone through a haircut, which was the first in the world as a bail-in. And I had also experienced Greek capital controls, and I've also experienced Lebanese bank capital controls. So I'm very well versed in banks telling me that I'm not allowed to access my money. And that's what was super interesting to me in crypto, that I had complete ownership and custody of my coins. So I find it a little bit ironic that now I'm sort of an institutional crypto head of research, but the pre the key point is that custody is what makes secure asset holding possible. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I guess that leads very nicely into uh, the show and tell segment that you just presented. And for any listeners who haven't seen it, you know, go to our YouTube channel or, or find it on our socials because it, it, it's really great to see the visualization of, of your topic. Um, it's I mean, it's probably more impactful than just saying the numbers, but you highlighted in, in this piece that sort of like 0.1% of, of criminal funds uh, are recovered through various AML measures. And do you think that this sort of like where we are with blockchain and digital assets and crypto, this is it a new paradigm? Is it, it going to be more effective for combating uh, illicit funds or is it just going to be more effective at being able to like trace it? Like how do you, how do you factor in what we have with this technology versus the old world of AML? Well, I think it's important to kind of look at what we have today and say, has it been effective? And so the UN estimates that between 2 and 5% of global GDP, which is right now at around 85 trillion, 
is lost due to money laundering activities. And so we're talking about $1.5 to $4.5 trillion. Um, now, not a lot is recovered. Even, if, even, even the studies that have been released that show the 0.1%, they generally use very broad strokes because the data isn't very clear. But even if you 10x that, 1% is not really successful. Um, so what we currently have is 300 billion. Thomas Re Thompson Reuters actually says that institutions spend probably quite closer to 1 trillion in compliance measures. Um, and so the recovered funds are 100 times that cost um, on a good day. So is it really effective? No, it's not. It might be a deterrent because maybe maybe our 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 money laundering activities wouldn't be two to five percent of GDP. Maybe it would be ten percent if we didn't have these deterrents. But one percent, or even zero zero point one percent, or one percent, is not a success rate. So at some point, someone a lot more powerful than me, with the right data and smarter than me, is going to be able to look at these regulators and say, look these policies aren't effective, either you fix them or you're, you're borderline complicit in the very loss of this money. So that brings us sort of to, to, to digital assets and where we are today. Um, we've been dealing with AML policies for 40 years and now, soon to come to pass, it hasn't even passed yet as law, the EU wants to set up another AML authority. And under this authority, it'll be a sort of a single integrated system with a direct supervision, and they will monitor and supervise with national coordinators, and there'll be a single rule book and a central data hub for money laundering activities. Well, congratulations, you can all do all of that on a blockchain, and that's where digital assets come in. And so it's important to realize that public blockchains are transparent and they are open source and they are akin to something like the open source intelligence that we have today like Bellingcat which is investigative journalism that goes down a lot of different rabbit holes of open source information and gathers information to get the right story and that's going to be the equivalent of financial transactions ultimately. So yes, I do believe that digital assets can be much, much better in, in helping uh, combat AML. And how far towards that go? Obviously, I mean, it's a very new industry and it's even newer for regulators and the people who work at regulators who are trying to figure out all this stuff, you know, just like the rest of us. So, you know, certain authorities like, you know, the FBI has its own um, crypto unit, uh, National Crime Agency in the UK, they don't have a crypto unit. It's, it sort of falls somewhere between cybercrime or the serious fraud office. I, I guess maybe a lot of the regulars are trying to figure out who ultimately has responsible for this this area and how far you know, are some of them doing a better job than others? Or are they getting it right in some places? Do you get a, a sense of that? Well, I think that blockchain analytics is important, and all of these regulators are going to do it. Um, but there, there's already some very interesting things going on 
in crypto, um, especially on on the on the combating illicit finances. Just like recently, Chainalysis released a a tool for free that allows um, different DeFi protocols and crypto companies to automatically check whether these transactions would be compliant or not against the sanctions list in the wake of the Ukraine crisis. So we're, we're seeing crypto companies wanting to be on the good side of history here. And so if, if regulators really want to combat illicit funds from entering the financial system, they will, they will truly look at blockchain technology and public blockchains in particular and say, how do we build policies from the ground up in a brand new canvas that's clear uh, system? So for maximalists in the space, they would argue that any intervention by regulators whether it's just providing guidance or a framework or being able to prosecute or whatever, is just going to crush crypto. Like there will be no more growth, no more development, because you know the the original thesis was that it was you know out of the hands of, of sovereign states. So, I mean, you got to come down somewhere on this divide between you know the the maximalists who foresaw the growth and pushed the growth and the regulators who say, well, this should be ours now. I don't think the the two are particularly in combat with each other. I think they actually complement each other. The the companies like Chainalysis and Elliptic, they are providing a a necessary good that allows regulators to feel comfortable with financial assets that are decentralized and that they can't actually control. So it's kind of a bridge. We need these blockchain analytic tools to help us stop things like human trafficking and sex trafficking and um, corruptions and uh, human right violations and bribery. All of these things are, are part and parcel of a financial system and a decentralized financial system even more it, can be more so, so blockchain analytics can really help us combat that and keep the space good. Do you think then, because it's so heavily based on purely blockchain analytics, that you know the companies like uh, you mentioned, Chainalysis, uh, Elliptic, TRM Labs, another one, do you think they could just replace regulators? Like they could be regulators unto themselves? I think that the internet itself will turn into sort of these regulators. So that's a scary thought. The internet's full of, of horrible course. people, uh, but it's also filled with with good people as yeah. well. Just like we saw during the Ukraine crisis, the amount of funds that was donated in a in very fast fashion. We have good people and we've got bad people. That that doesn't that's not going to stop whether there's chain analysis or not. Um, what will happen, though, that is that there'll be platforms, just like we see within the open source intelligence, where users can help identify bad actors, and that's generally what we want to want to do. We want to, we don't want people to be regulators, but there will be tools in place that will help regulators, um, because clearly they're not succeeding with the policies they've made. 
and their policies need to be completely revamped from the ground up around a public blockchain. And that's where they can actually potentially have a blank canvas to establish successful rules. So you mentioned corruption just then, and, and you mentioned it in your um, show and tell segment as well, yeah. specifically around you know politicians uh, and their trading activities in it. Yeah. Recently, um, New York Rep and Congress AOC uh, said that you know members of Congress, uh, presumably the Senate as well, shouldn't shouldn't be able to trade crypto assets in order to create policy and legislate around them. Do you think that's fair? I don't care if politicians trade or not, to be honest with you, because they're human beings and they're going to look for opportunity one way or another. But I do believe that politicians um, have a higher degree of requirements in terms of transparency. So the 45-day rule um, that they need to disclose their trades is a little bit absurd in, in today's world. That should be instant. Anything that they do, any public official, any public transaction um, should be on a public ledger. If there are funds that taxes are paying for, they should be um, visible to the public at any point in time. And that go not only goes to politicians, but that goes to municipalities and um, uh, intergovernment operations. And um, you know... If there's if there's a project happening uh, in in London, for example, um, and the, the the rules are that you need three different quotes from possible um, tenders and providers of a certain service, all of that should be available on the blockchain. That's what's going to minimise corruption and and bribery. So I don't mind if politicians trade, uh, have at it. But I do believe that in today's world, that sh information should be public and instant. I think so, some of these politicians, um, mostly in the US, I don't think it's happened here in the UK too much, um, have actually asked to be paid in Bitcoin, <laughs> which, well, which strikes me. That I, I don't think I'd actually want to be paid in, in Bitcoin. But um, what do you think about that? Uh, some, some politicians are going to try and have a bit of a um, marketing grab at this point because... Yeah. Crypto is quite powerful, and it's it's shown that it has um, some firepower behind it. Um, but and some pe some politicians truly believe in in what's going on. Um, the the truth is is that it's it's it can be both. Some people believe it. Some people are just jumping on a bandwagon. So another sort of maybe bandwagon, maybe not, um, a big spike in interest recently over privacy-focused blockchains mm. and tokens. That must make your job more difficult as a <laughs> blockchain researcher. How do you, how do you deal with uh, I, privacy I th tokens? I think, I think privacy is actually good. And privacy uh, reestablishes uh, an important conversation. Uh, and it's an interesting question considering the topics that we've discussed today, especially in, 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 in light of the AML policies that have failed. The reality is, is that these compliance measures that banks are forcing onto people and that are costing billions of dollars is effectively saying that every single person is could be guilty of something. And that's a problem. Um, there are some statistics. Again, they're probably, they're, who knows how accurate they are, but there are some statistics that show that most money laundering happens from convicted felons. But... Ultimately, privacy uh, shouldn't be seen as 
uh, a bad thing. Um, and it's important to understand that just because there's a privacy token and you don't know where my transactions have gone, it doesn't mean that the exchanges that I'm off-ramping to um, can't do their AML and their due diligence. They can. If I walk into a bank with a, with a suitcase full of you know, $10 million, the bank's not going to accept it. It's going to report me because it's too much money and I'm not going to be able to account for where I got $10 million from in cash. And if I, if I bring 10 million in cash in, in a privacy token, the exchange is going to stop it and going to ask me, where did you get that $10 million? So exchanges can do their AML just as banks can, um, even if there's a privacy element to it. So obviously as our head of research, you know, we love what you're doing and what, what you get to look into and, and the stuff that you come out with. Um, and for anyone who hasn't read your work, definitely subscribe to our research newsletter or just come look at it on the website. Um, but we're curious, you know, are there any non-crypto native firms that have impressed you with their, either their efforts or their level of knowledge in the space? Because I know there's plenty that don't. <laughs> no, there m- most don't or, you know, I think, I think that's a little bit harsh. I think a lot of these You said some pretty harsh things about them. <laughs> the, <laughs> I, think, I think there's uh, a lot of, well, look, the truth is, is that most of these larger institutions their content is still very educational. I think most of the questions they get is still what is Bitcoin and what is blockchain. Um, But as far as um, research that has sort of impressed me is Bank of America, who 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 reports in on interesting things that are happening within the the digital the wider digital asset space. And they're fairly timely in what they cover as well. Okay, finally, um, what are some of the l- latest trends that you're, you're interested in that you've picked up and then you can share with us today? Um, I believe that as far as trends, we continue to look at blockchain data very closely to establish supply and demand dynamics. And I think as far as Bitcoin is concerned, that's... 90% of the equation is looking at the supply-demand balance. Right now, the trend has sort of been moving sideways. Uh, it's a bit soft. Um, it Demand's not really there just yet outside of small retail accumulators. Um, but eventually, when there is more regulatory clarity, uh, I do believe that there will be a large push from institutions do you sort of, because um, there's often talk about like what, what qualifies as an institution. So do you have like specific financial institutions or brackets of that you think of as real institutions? Because there's plenty of interest and plenty of, plenty of what we might call institutions looking at or whatever, but you know, who, who are the, who's the real money for you? Um, you don't have to name names, but I guess, you know. I, I, I don't think there's, there's, any, there's nothing in particular that comes to mind. It's just large sums of money that's what institutions are it's n- nothing more nothing less large sums of money like minimum Inst- ticket 50 mil 100 mil yeah and that could and that could, that totally, could be yeah. that could be some two dudes out of a we work right like that that's possible that you know they've got a couple of rich friends and they've done it that that could be institutional because if you know someone landed and said hey i'm going i want a 50 million dollar placement in bitcoin you know that's not small fry and you probably would have struggled to place it in the first place anyway. So I guess my, my um, 
the the sum where you would struggle to place in Bitcoin would rank them as an institution. How often do you think that sum changes? Well, with Bitcoin, it could change quite quite quickly, <laughs> quite ra- quite rapidly. Yeah. You know, by the time we finish this call, it'll it'll yeah. have changed like. Okay, cool. Well, before we do finish this call, we have um, questions that we ask everyone. Uh, if you wouldn't mind running them, running through them with us for us. So um, the first one's pretty open. Where do you see the crypto industry in one year versus ten years? And actually, if that's too wide, we've been talking about AML, so let's focus it. Where do you see? AML and crypto in one year versus 10 years from now? Oh, I don't think on the AML front anything's going to change anytime soon. 10 years, 10 years there might be some um, um, acceptance by uh, uh, regulators that native crypto companies have adopted to fight um, the criminal activities. So crypto native companies are on the back foot and they sort of need to prove themselves. So they will implement the technology to combat, co- combat illicit, fu- illicit funds from entering the crypto world. And that's when the regulators will sort of take notice and say, actually what they're doing works and what we're doing is still a failure. If you could change one thing about the industry, what would it be? Um, I'd tell crypto Twitter to chill out a little bit. Yeah, good one. Uh, what is one piece of technology you couldn't live without? My, my dishwasher, um, my Nespresso machine, my Roomba. You That's Roomba? three. Come on. <laughs> my, I love my Roomba. I don't get Roombas. They're round, but rooms are square. Does yeah, it, but does they, it actually work? No, no be, it works because it's got the little, uh, little f- you know, the thing that turns on the outside of it. Like a street and sweeper. It, yeah, and it kicks, it, kicks, it, it cleans okay. up. It's brilliant. I want to see this when I come to Cyprus. Okay. Um, what does your weekend look like when you get time off? Um, when I get time off, if if it's good weather, it's generally motorcycle rides, um, at beach, spending time with friends. And to be honest with you, I'm f- a fairly OCD person, so I have to make sure my house is or- in order and you know it's my 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 Tupperware is all stacked <laughs> neatly. And yeah, it's it's not good. So my weekend, my my Saturdays mornings are sort of you know, making sure the remote control is pointing in the right direction. Fair enough. Um, What movie can you watch over and over again and never get tired of, if there is one? Um, I mean, it depends on the time frame. I mean, if if it's every couple of years, I could watch Fight Club every couple of years and Shawshank Redemption every couple of years. If it's something that I want to watch every couple of months, it's probably probably The Hangover. (laughs) Okay. Very, very different categories. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. <laughs> okay. Uh, do you have any catchphrases or mottos that you live by? Uh, no, n- not really. Uh, but sometimes, if I'm if I'm in a, a little bit of a funk, um, if I'm being and when I'm in a, fun- a little bit lazy, to be honest with you, um, there are some things that I like to say to myself, like just just get on with it. And I think get on with it is probably my fr- favorite. Like a uh, mantra more than yeah, a Yeah, just, you know, just get on with it. You know, yeah. you're having a bad day. Get on with it. Get get the job done, you know. Despite crypto Twitter, who should we all follow on crypto Twitter? Uh, on crypto Twitter or on Twitter? On Twitter. Um, on Twitter, it would be dudes posting their wins. Is that like a Wall Street's bad thing? Uh, no, it's, it's, you know, it's what the title is dudes posting their wins okay <laughs> i'm gonna look it up this isn't a and there's women's posting their l's yeah uh, is this 
Is this a, a not safe for work recommendation? Okay. Yeah. Caveat emptor, people. Uh, okay, what was the last thing that happened that surprised you? I think it was the how polarized the opinions on COVID and COVID measures were. Mm-hmm. Um, who is the next guest we should have on our show? I would suggest three, actually. And I think me Ooh, and you have spoken to this. Let me get my pen. Hang on. And I think we've spoken to about this before. Um, it would be um, Matt, Gabe, and Enrique from Hard Money Podcast, which oh, yeah, yeah. which I they're sh- turning the $10,000 to a yeah. million. I started listening. It's, it's, a, it's a good podcast. It's a very good podcast. You learn quite a lot. You... Uh, and you go for a bit of a roller coaster ride. They trade a lot of crypto. They did trade a little stocks. They went from 10K to upwards of 100K. They went down to 50K again. They've traded NFTs. They've created NFTs. They've, you know, it's a, it's def- these are three guys that really um, uh, are interesting to have a chat with. Yep. So we'll get all three of them. Yeah. Uh, if you somehow managed to meet Satoshi, what, and you only got one question, what would you ask him? What would you like to have for a drink? I mean, there, there's nothing to be said. All is said and done. Really? There's nothing to be... What, what am I going to ask him? Why didn't you move your coins all these years? <laughs> Why, you know, do you think Bitcoin... Do you have a more favorite token? There's nothing to be said. Okay, so you're getting him a drink. And I'll get him a drink and then I'll get him drunk and then I'll ask him the questions and get his <laughs> private keys. But that's, you know... But that's the plan. That's the... Okay. Co- that's a that's conversation for Satoshi. Yeah. Cool. Uh, well, Fadi, thank you very much for coming in. Um, it's always good to see you uh, at Likewise. HQ here in London. And I look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks, Tyler. Uh, to our listeners, if you haven't already seen Fadi's show and tell, please go to our YouTube page, or you can find it on Twitter at CopperHQ, or you can find it on the website, cover.co forward slash insights. There you can also sign up for our newsletter, which includes links to all the week's top stories, as well as any updates from the wider team at Copper. And now we've introduced a research newsletter as well. If you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, please make sure to give us a good review on whichever streaming platform you're using. And if you want to get in touch with me, you can always reach me, Tyler, on Twitter at CryptoTSK, or you can email me directly, tyler.kenyon at copper.co. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, or if you know someone who should be, give us a shout. We're here to talk all things institutional crypto. And of course, this show could not be made possible without the technical and creative wizardry of Tally Spear, the support from Melee Mountfort and Eva Lila. New episodes will be coming out fortnightly. And in the meantime, stay safe.